Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me on this Saturday morning. How are you doing, Darcy? Well, it's not morning anymore, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's Saturday afternoon here. Um, well, we're in the same time zone now. Um, but uh, I just finished watching the Auburn game. We won, so I'm in a good mood now. Sweet. I have my nice. celebration beer. All right. What kind of beer is it? Uh, it's just a Yingling. Oh, okay. A classic. Nice. Oh, good news all the way around. Darcy's in a good mood. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, in keeping with kind of a little bit of a Halloween-y theme, um, I've got an interesting little article to talk about. I don't know if you saw this, but it's super gross. It's health officials in Virginia are warning about venomous caterpillars <gasps> that look like toupees. Yes, I did see this. <laughs> they're, gro- they're huge. They look like a toupee. This Isn't is just gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Months after the invasion of murder hornets in the Pacific Northwest, health officials in Virginia are warning residents to be on the lookout for a new menace. It's venomous. Venomous breed of hairy caterpillar that's been spotted in the eastern part of the state. The Virginia Department of Forestry shared the warning on Facebook earlier this week, along with a photo of the caterpillar, which is covered in human-like hair. Ew. They received reports of the pus caterpillar in a few eastern Virginia counties, according to October 6th post. While the bug looks like a harmless little thing, it looks like a toupee, actually, they say. And that's why people are, like, picking it up and trying to touch it or whatever. But the hairs on the caterpillar are actually venomous spines that cause a painful reaction if they're touched. Oh, no. Yeah. The pus caterpillar, which is one of the most venomous caterpillars in the U.S., is the larva of the southern flannel moth known as the Meglopiae opercularis. <laughs> Ooh, I, I'm Ugh. pretty sure I mispronounced that. PhDs in entomology. Don't, uh-huh. yell, don't yell at me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess I pronounced that so badly. But in any case, these caterpillars have a dense covering of fine hairs that range in color from tan to dark brown and gray. They're most commonly found in the southeastern and south-central portion of the U.S., and they've been reported as far north as New Jersey and Missouri. Mm. But they can also be found in Texas and Arkansas. Um, ugh. These moths can be common in those areas, but are most abundant in Texas. But while they're toxic to people, pus caterpillars seem to cross paths with humans often. Among the 11 species of this family of moths in North America, the southern flannel moth is the most commonly encountered by humans. The pus caterpillar is toxic because it's covered in venomous spines that are hidden beneath its hair coat. They use this venom to defend themselves against predators that might want to eat them. When handled, they're poisonous, and the spines break off when they come into contact with skin and release a toxin that can cause severe and painful reactions. But, you know, they don't target humans, according to bug specialists. They eat oak and elm leaves, according to these scientists that study them, and they can be found in parks or near structures where people might be, which raises the risk of an accidental encounter with these little Mm. guys. They can cause the following symptoms if you happen to come into contact with them. A burning sensation where the spine contacts the skin, localized swelling, red blotching appearance of the skin, nausea, vomiting, muscle cramps, swollen glands, or fever. Whoa. How bonkers is that? For real. But there are also people that have described intense pain after coming into contact with the pus caterpillar. In August, one woman in Florida told Fox 13 News that one brushed up against her arm after an outdoor workout, and it caused painful red welts to form on her arm. She said it took hours for the pain to ease. 
And then there was another lady in Virginia who landed in the ER after a pus caterpillar was resting on her cat door. <gasps> it was on her cat door, and she brushed up against it. It touched her leg. And she said it felt like a scorching, hot knife passing through the side of her calf. Oh, my God. Before she looked down to see where it came from, she was... She thought she was going to see a big piece of metal sticking out, and she didn't. There was nothing there but this pus caterpillar, and she went to the hospital, said it took three days before she started to feel normal again. Yeesh. Yikes. <laughs> this is nasty, but it was also to blame for a 14-month-old boy who developed a red rash on his leg after sitting in a park with his parents. It spread and had to be treated with serious antihistamine drugs. Jeez. If you spot these guys in your yard or in your home, you shouldn't panic in general. They're kept under control by natural enemies. But if you're seeing a bunch of them in your yard, you should contact a pest control company, they say. And if you come into contact with a pest caterpillar, they recommend immediately washing the affected area with soap and water. Remove any broken spines that are in your skin with cellophane tape. Don't try to touch it with your hand because you could get, you know, whatever is in that spine right. could end up in your hand. And seek medical attention if you have any signs of anaphylactic shock. But holy crap wow <laughs> it just sounds so crazy Seriously. and they look like a toupee so i think people like just reach down to like t figure out what it is yeah. and i don't know about you but when i was growing up like we played with caterpillars like they were like little creatures that we liked messing around with it wasn't like you know a dangerous thing or a painful thing or anything like that yeah we played with caterpillars too but they weren't that big like if i saw one that big i don't know that i would reach out and touch it yeah but, but they say it doesn't really look like a caterpillar it just looks like a toupee or something so people right. are like oh what's that so yuck gross ew i don't want to run into any pus caterpillars i wonder if they're in our area i haven't heard any i didn't see illinois listed as one of the area right you never know I've never seen one around here, but you said they're in the mm -hmm. southeast, so I'm sure there are around here, but I've never I've never seen one. I'd only heard about them being in Virginia. I'm just not real big on huge bugs. I'm not big on yeah. bugs. Gross. End of sentence. Um, the other thing is, there's a lot of bugs that I keep finding in the house here, too, and I think just because it's starting to get cold <gasps> and things like that. Um, oh, oh, and the other yeah. day, uh, I came into the kitchen, and I lifted up a towel on the counter, and I could see, like, rat they were I don't think they're rat. I think they're mice. Mat mice droppings. So I was no. like, oh, my God, we have mice. And, of course, we live in this super old house. It's, it's 100 years old, right. and there's mice. Like, you always get, and they're right. little tiny ones. Like, the, they're probably an inch or two. They're, they're like field mice that come yeah. in the house when it's cold. And I think yeah. anywhere you go, you're going to find them. And... So mm -hmm. I had to go, I went and I did a little thing on Facebook first to kind of search for like what are the most effect, because I don't want to have rat poison sitting around, especially if I'm yeah. going to try to have a child. I don't want to like yeah. get that kind of a thing going on. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, what can I do? And then this one lady said, well, you should get the, the um, no-kill traps. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to see them or touch them <laughs> or have anything no. to do with them either. Yeah. So somebody else recommended getting these little like plug-in things that like repel that they have that they emit some either an electromagnetic thing or a high-pitched noise that humans can't hear or something like that oh i think i've heard about i heard so about she those, was saying yeah. try those out so i got one and it just came today so i went and plugged it in in the kitchen like we don't leave food out or yeah. anything like that and we don't leave dishes sitting on the counter in the sink for very long so i think it's yeah. just it's cold and this house has a lot of I mean, it's got a huge basement, and it's got a lot of little spaces, I think, where tiny creatures could get in. Right. 
Well, and even if you don't leave food out or anything like that, like mice can get into your cupboards yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it might, might not be like that your house is dirty or anything. It might, I mean, mice just can well, get Well, the upstairs neighbors have like cats. That. They have two. Oh, so that's good. So I haven't heard anything from them, but the thing is, I, I'm sure they don't have probably any Probably not. All theirs probably come down here, but they're on the top floor and we're on the bottom yeah. floor. So I think the bottom floor is much easier for little creatures to get in and out of. So... I'm going to give those mm-hmm. little plug-in things a shot and see, like, how effective they are. I mean, the reviews, I got them on Amazon. The reviews were, like, five stars. Right. These are awesome. Can't believe how good these are. Worked for us, blah, blah, yeah. blah. They got rid of cockroaches. They got rid of mice. They got rid of spiders. Like, they're supposed to be really, really good. But, I mean, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I, I prob- Maybe I have mutant mice that don't give a... Oh, God. <laughs> they're like, we don't care about your stupid <laughs> plug-ins. <laughs> Maybe you could borrow one of your neighbor's cats. <laughs> No, I don't want a cat in my house. Cats are nasty. Oh. Sorry. Well. Sorry if you're a cat person, but like uh, the litter box situation mm-hmm. is disgusting. Anything yeah. that walks around in its own excrement and then gets up on my counters, um, no thanks. <laughs> or like my bed <laughs> crawls onto my pillow, like no thanks. Cats are nasty in that way. I mean, I grew up with cats. I think they're cute, but like that litter box thing, not yeah. so much. Plus I have really bad allergies now for some reason so like I'll i get, developed an allergy to cats too yeah, and like i grew up with cats itchy eyes sneezing mm-hmm. runny nose and it just is non-stop as soon as i'm within 10 feet of them i'm kind of surprised yeah. that i don't really have a reaction here because they're close enough to, i could hear them running around upstairs yeah but hmm. i mean it is what it is <laughs> yeah i mean they're super cute and i like watch them non-stop on instagram and facebook and all these other things and i'm always commenting oh i can't tell you but like having one in my house um no thanks plus if you're trying to have a baby, I guess the litter box is like a really big no-no with yeah, that because it that. can be very toxic to um, fetal development or something like that for some reason. Oh, okay. Like if you have some yeah. knowledge on that, shoot us an email. I that's something that I had heard that pregnant women should not clean out the litter box. Interesting. I don't know if it's a function of the litter or the ex- excrement or both or what, but. Yeah, I don't know. It may be a chemical that's in the litter. I don't know. Interesting. But, um, so what do you got for us today? I know you looked up a, another little Halloween special I did. tale. Yeah, so I watched another scary movie for inspiration, and I have another story that is the inspiration for another horror film. So I'm going to stay in that theme. Um, so this week we're going to talk about the Keddy murders. Oh, I don't know that I've yeah. heard of these. So... Sue Sharp was a 36-year-old Navy wife living in Connecticut with her five children. Wow. And I know 36, I'm 36. I cannot imagine having five kids, but. My mom did. (laughs) She was on five kids by that point. And she would have had more. Yeah, I have a friend that that did. Yeah, the same thing. That's bonkers. um, Anyway. Her husband, James, was reported to be abusive. And in 1980, he actually kicked his wife and children out of the house. Oh, God. And so Sue packed up and moved to Northern California to be near her brother, Dawn. Okay. And at first she rented a trailer that Dawn had just recently vacated in Quincy, but then she decided she needed to rent a cabin at the Keddie Resort in the Sierra Nevada mountain range. Oh, my God. It must have been beautiful. I've never been up there, but... But Ketty is, like, a tiny, tiny little town. I mean, like, the current population is estimated to be, like, 96 people. Wow. So it's very much a small, tight-knit community where no one locks their doors kind of a thing. How's that spelled? K-E-T-T-I-E? K-E-D-D-I-E. Interesting. Okay. 
so cabin 28 is where sue made her new life with her children and she had 15 year old john 14 year old sheila 12 year old tina 10 year old rick and five-year-old greg okay so pretty close together okay in that range of kids and they had a two-story cabin and Johnny being the oldest, he took a room just off the unfinished basement downstairs. So he kind of wanted his privacy and things like that. And okay. Rick and Greg, the two youngest, shared a room at the front of the cabin. And Tina and Sheila shared a room in the back of the cabin opposite the kitchen. And Sue either slept in the bedroom with Tina and Sheila or she slept on the pull-out couch in the living room. Okay. Okay. And so... Times were kind of hard. She wasn't making very much money. I think she got $250 from the Navy. Her husband, ex-husband, did not support the family at all kind of a thing. And so Sue was just trying to do what she could to make it work. And she was described as being really quiet and not a partier or anything like that, which, I mean, okay. how can you be a partier when you're a single mom right. of five? You know, so Seriously. It's, like you know she by all accounts she was a very responsible mother she wasn't leaving her kids at home and going out and partying and doing things like that right so next door to cabin 28 and i mean like right next door like 15 feet away Mm -hmm. and we'll post pictures so you can see how close this was is the seabolt family and the sharp kids particularly sheila and tina became fast friends with the seabolt kids and they were always at each other's houses kind of hanging out okay and April 11th, 1981, was just like any other day. John and his friend Dana, which is a, a, a boy, um, had spent the day in nearby Quincy, which is a little over five miles away. And around 1 o'clock, Sue and Sheila drove into town to pick him up. But around 3.30, they left the house again, planning to return later that night. They were going to go to a party and like just go hang out in town and kind of get out of the small town kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And... Sue didn't want them to hitchhike home, but they were seen hitchhiking around 9.30 or 10, and it's believed that they arrived home about 1 a.m. Well, hitchhiking was not uncommon back then. I Certainly not. I recall when I was growing up, my mom actually used to pick up hitchhikers. Really? Yeah. Like, with us in the car. I told that story before. Because, like, back then, like, especially in the smaller towns and the areas that we lived in, like, it was just a lot of, like, kind of country folk type people. Right. Like, no one was dangerous. It was just a different time. Right. So. And especially in a small town like this, yeah. like he said. You just, and there's so, a, you're kind of lulled into a false sense of comfort that no mm-hmm. one is unfriendly, so why would you not help somebody that needs a ride kind of a thing? Especially in like a small town, there's a good chance you know you know the person or you've seen them around or something like yeah. that. Like you're, it's not a complete stranger kind no. of a deal, right? So uh, Sheila had gone over to the Seabolts to spend the night on the 11th, and the younger boys, Rick and Greg, decided that they wanted to have one of their friends, Justin Eason, spend the night at with at their house. And so the next morning, around 7 a.m., when Sheila returns home, she opens the door to this horrific discovery. So as she opens the front door, she sees three bodies on the living room floor, but she doesn't know who they are. All she sees is that they've been tied up and bound with medical tape and electrical cord. Medical tape? What, what is mm-hmm. medical tape? So it's described as like a cloth medical tape or a surgical tape. And so I think surgical tape is probably the more accurate term. It's like that papery kind of cloth tape that's not as sticky as like athletic tape or anything like that. But um, Hmm. 
it's like a it's like a little papering tape okay that's what my understanding of it is but i could be entirely wrong so she also sees a hammer and a bent knife like the night like it was she actually thought it was a pocket knife because of the way it was bent that's how sharply it was bent Uh uh-huh and so sheila runs out of the house and she goes back next door to the seabolt's house where they actually have to go to another cabin of the landlord of all these houses to uh, call the police because the Seabolts also don't have a phone in their house. Okay. So Jamie, the Seabolts' oldest son, actually goes next door and he walks around the house and he opens up a window and finds that the three youngest boys, Rick, Greg, and their friend Justin, are asleep in their back in their bedroom. Huh. And he actually helps them at the back window so that they didn't have to go through the living room and see what happened. Oh, so they were completely unharmed. So the, the, how many youngest, the three youngest, okay. So the older daughter and the three youngest kids, she had five. The two youngest boys and their, their friend that was staying over. Okay. So there should be three kids and then one of the daughters. So two kids. And the mom. Yes. Okay, got it. I was just trying to, like, do the math. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. So law enforcement and Stu's brother then show up in, to the house, and Don is the one to identify the bodies. And he identifies Stu, John, the oldest, the oldest son, and John's friend Dana. So it's only one of her children. Sue and one yes. of her children. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yep, and it was his friend that was staying over. John's body was closest to the door. He was lying face up with his hands bound together with that medical tape. Mm-hmm. And Dana was lying on his stomach and his ankles were bound with electrical cord that was also tied around John's ankles. So it was like one long piece of cord that was used to tie Dana's ankles and then also tie John's ankles. What? That's crazy. Sue was lying on lying close to the sofa. She was covered up with a blanket and the, the way that the blood had pooled on the living room floor indicated that all three bodies were moved from where they were killed. What? Okay. And usually, the, you know what they say when they are co- when somebody gets covered up, it's usually mm-hmm. somebody, that it's knows you, it, somebody that knows you. It's not yep. like a stranger. Right? right. And the walls were covered with blood and knife marks. Like somebody had stabbed the wall. What? Like there was a, Yeah. And, and Sue was actually found lying on her side. She was gagged with a blue bandana and her own underwear, and she was nude from the waist down. So and this is where she was kind of covered with the blanket. You got some kind of a sexual assault component. Possibly. And, and they think that Sue's body had been rearranged from maybe like an indecent position to where they had rearranged her, maybe closed her legs and covered her up with the blanket is what they think. Wow. Yeah. So... Sue had been stabbed in the chest and her throat was cut and there was an imprint of the butt of a BB gun on the side of her head. Wow. And she, so she was brutally attacked and John's throat was also cut. Dana had multiple head injuries and he had actually been strangled. Whoa. And it was clear to the investigators that uh, some kind of violent fight had taken place. This had taken a long time. It wasn't a quick in and out thing. The killers had spent some time in there in the house. And the autopsy revealed that all three had numerous blunt force trauma wounds to their head caused by two different hammers. But they only found one hammer at the scene. Wow. 
All right. So immediately the investigators are suspecting that there's at least two perpetrators. Johnny had a number of defensive wounds and investigators think that he was probably trying to protect his family. And you also have the fact that the two teenage boys were tied up and that likely would have required more than one person to tie up two teenage boys. Right, right. So they have accounted for the victims in the living room that Sue, John, and Dana. And they've also accounted for the younger boys asleep, Rick, Greg, and Justin. And Sheila was the one who discovered the scene. But where's Tina? The younger daughter, right? And it takes them hours to realize that Tina's missing from the scene. Oh, my gosh. And news of the murders and the fact that Tina is missing spreads throughout the town and the surrounding areas. And search parties are sent out hoping to find Tina alive. How old was she again? Twelve. And investigators are wondering maybe if Tina was the target of this whole attack because she was taken from the scene. So maybe were they trying to get to her and they killed everybody or they killed the three people in the front of the house to get to Tina. Right. And the weird thing, though, is that neither Sheila nor anybody in the Seabolt family heard any noises coming from Cabin 28 the night before. What? So there were some other neighbors that heard like a muffled scream at 1.30. But they didn't hear anything after that, so they went back to bed, and that was the only noise that was reported. Wow. The, the telephone was also off the hook at the house. So whoever, because they did have a, a, a phone at Cabin 28, but their phone had been taken off the hook. Okay. Okay. So the first os- obvious suspect is going to be the ex-husband, Right. He, doesn't he live across the country? He did. He's in the Navy, so he he may have been transferred, or he could have been on, okay. you know, temporary duty. I mean, he had any number of reasons he could have been out there, or he could have just come out there, you know. Right. And Sue was reportedly terrified of him, and Sheila said that he sexually abused both her and Tina up until the day that Sue took the kids and left him. Oh, my God. And Tina was also supposedly James's favorite. And so Navy investigators put him under surveillance thinking maybe he had something to do with this. And that's why he took Tina. Again, they were focusing on the fact that Tina was taken. Right. And ultimately, it was determined that he was nowhere near Keddie at the time. And he had an alibi and he was cleared. Okay. Okay. And so then they start looking into Sue's personal life, like men she dated, acquaintances, things like that. But none of that led anywhere either. And they also start looking into teachers at the school, things like that. And one of Tina's teachers, they start hearing that he had kind of like a strange affinity for Tina. He was he definitely paid a lot of unnatural attention to her. And he actually had a picture of her on his desk. And he had a picture of her at his house. That's creepy. It's very creepy. And this teacher ends up leaving Ketty and moving away. And he actually ends up getting arrested at his new location for molesting a young girl. Oh, my God. Yeah. But as they look into him, they also see that there's no evidence that he was involved either. So he is cleared of this charge. And it could be one of those things where, you know, abusers, can they have an eye for for young children that have already been been abused you know like they can kind oh of target God, them and so it, creepy yeah and if tina was abused by her dad like sheila said maybe this teacher kind of caught on to that there was a vulnerability there or something like that the teacher kind of preyed on her 
So we don't mm-hmm. know if anything else happened, but we just we know that he wasn't involved in these murders. Yeah. And so then the investigators start kind of shifting their attention and thinking, okay, well, maybe Sue's the target. Maybe they took Tina as a distraction so that we would stop focusing on the actual murders. Mm-hmm. And investigators interview the younger boys to determine if they saw or heard anything that night. And Rick and Greg insist that they slept through the entire night and they never heard anything. Those are the two younger kids that were in the house. Yeah. That's so crazy. Justin, though, the friend, says that he has been having dreams about the murders. What? And they, the sheriff's department puts him... They, 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 they hypnotize him. What? And so they want to kind of pull these details out of his subconscious. Yeah. And according to his dream, they were all on the love boat, which is the TV show that they were watching uh-huh. that night before they went to bed. So they were all on the love boat. And two men stabbed Sue, John, and Dana. And then they threw the bodies overboard and the men escaped in a raft. What? And the details he gives are pretty startling, though. So he says that he saw Sue had a cut in her chest, and the attacker had a hammer, and that John and Dana fought off one of the attackers. And the details are pretty accurate, and they think that Justin actually may have seen the murders. And then when he went back to sleep, these memories kind of coalesced in his brain as a dream. Whoa. That's a trip. Which happens all the time. I mean, that happens all the time. I have a weird dream, and I, like, go back through my day, and I'm like, okay, what was this weird thing that happened that, like, in my day that triggered this thing to happen in my dream? Like, that's just your brain. Like, your neurons are firing. Your brain's resetting at night, and it just jumbles all these memories. That's so crazy. And he gives a description of the two men that he saw, and they actually end up making composite drawings. So both were described as being in their late 20s, early 30s, one of them was about six feet tall with dark blonde hair, and the other one was about 5'8 with longer black hair. And the second one, there's a striking resemblance to Justin's stepfather, Marty Smart. Uh-huh. Yep. So Marty is a Vietnam vet. He claims to be suffering from PTSD, although investigators would later determine that he was actually a, a cook in Saigon and he never saw any combat. Okay. So... You do with that what you will, but he was known to be very aggressive and violent, and he had an explosive temper. And according to Sheila, he hated her brother John with a passion. And she doesn't, she's like, I don't really know why. I mean, it seems kind of weird to hate a 15 year old kid. Yeah. But she was like, you know, he did, he, John had a smart mouth, so he could, you know, but, but Marty hated him. Hmm. And in the past, he had physically abused both Justin and his mother, Marilyn. And at one point even attempted to run them over in a car. What the hell? Yeah. And not only was he abusive, but he also was cheating on Marilyn. And one of the women that he was supposedly cheating with was Sue Sharp. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. So he, before all of this happens, he ends up being, he goes to the VA hospital and gets admitted to the mental health ward. Okay. And while he's there, he meets a guy named John Boobaday, who goes by Bo. And they become, like, fast friends. Bo's a good bit older, maybe, like, 15 years older. And when Marty's released from the hospital, he brings Bo back with him to Ketty, and Bo basically lives on their couch. 
at the smart home with Justin and Marilyn, all right? Mm-hmm. And Bo is actually shadier than Marty. He has a super long rap sheet. He has a history of theft, and there's reports that he was a hitman. And he has ties to organized crime in Chicago, and he had spent a lot of time in prison. Interesting. Yes. And so during an interview with investigators after the murders, Marilyn says that on the night of the murders, Bo had actually asked Sue out, but that she had rejected him. Oh. Did, and she also, did Bo know that she was having a thing with the other guy? It doesn't sound that way. Ugh. Creepy. So, yeah. And and she all Marilyn also says that she's at this bar with Marty and Bo, and that Bo had said he wanted to kill someone that night. Hmm. As so you do, now, you know, the huge. As we all have done at one point when we're out at a bar, we all say we want to kill somebody. No. So... <laughs> Now, police are wondering if, you know, Sue had committed the unforgivable crime of not wanting to go out with a guy, so she got killed, you know, which happens all the time. And so the sheriff's department decides to bring in Marty and Bo for questioning, and Bo tells them that he wouldn't have any interest in Sue because he used to be a cop, and he was shot during this armed robbery in the groin, and as a result, now he's impotent. Anyway. Couldn't have been him. He also was never a cop. The whole thing's a lie. All right. He he also says that he was with Marty at the bar that night. So he that that's his alibi. Okay. Marilyn, Marty, and Bo were all seen at the bar on the night of April 11th, matching Marilyn's story. And Marty and Bo particularly stood out because they were wearing three-piece suits and sunglasses at this like hole-in-the-wall, run-down bar. And they're locals, so like. Why are they in suits? Like, they're not, like, going out of town. They're just, they're just wanting to draw attention to themselves is kind of how it looks. And they end up leaving the bar after a few hours because the bartender changes the music from country to rock, and they did not like rock music. They wanted to keep listening to country. And later, Marty calls the bartender from his cabin to complain about the music switch, but then they go back to the bar and have one less drink. This is Marty's story. The hell? He says they leave just before 2 a.m. All right. So they could have left and murdered him and come back. Yes. Mar- Marty's basically saying we were at this bar, then we left for a couple hours, and then we came back. Like, that's basically his alibi. Who the hell are the cops in this case? <laughs> is this, like, Mayberry? Like, what is, is going on? Oh. Just wait. So, Marty also tells investigators, he's like, yeah, Justin could have been at the scene of the crime without the killer knowing to explain why his stepson was unhurt in the back of the cabin. And he says he also heard that a hammer had been used in the murders, and he says, I'd like to see the hammer. I've been in Sue's house. The only hammer I ever knew that come out of there was a wooden-handled one. My hammer's missing. His hammer was missing. Uh-huh. Just coincidentally. So a couple things about this whole thing. First, rather than using the investigators or interviewers from the Plumas County Sheriff's Department, the sheriff uses interviewers from the Department of Justice's Organized Crime Unit. Mm. All right. Second, Marty and Bo were interviewed together in the same room. And third, after Marty places himself at the scene... And knows the murder weapon and conveniently claims his hammer is missing, the investigators allow them both to leave. 
and they're never interviewed again. I don't understand this. So how in the world was this allowed to happen, right? So like I said earlier, Ketty's a very small town, and it is rumored that the sheriff was very close friends with Marty. And like I said earlier, John Boubidet, or Bo, had a lot of ties to organized crime in the Chicago area, and some people are wondering if he was either an informant or in the witness protection program. And that may explain why interviewers from the organized crime unit from the Department of Justice were involved. Interesting. One of the Plumas County Sheriff's deputies claims that he was actually told to stay away from investigating Marty and Bo. The hell? And they end up, Marty and Bo end up moving away to, um, to Nevada and investigators never searched for Marty's missing hammer, and the case goes cold. Wow. So, three years to the day after the murders, so this will be April 12th, 1984, Mm -hmm. a skull and part of a mandible are found in Butte County, about 100 miles from Ketty. And initially, the Butte County Sheriff's Department thinks it's like a Native American recovery. There's, you know, it's like a very old, it's nothing nefarious. It's just a, a remains that have, Native American remains that have been found. But then they get an anonymous phone call that the skull actually belongs to Tina Sharp. What? A forensic pathologist examines the skull and confirms that it does actually belong to Tina. And so searching the area where the skull was found, investigators also find her jacket, a blanket, a pair of jeans, and an empty medical tape dispenser. Oh. And because of the state of the remains, I mean, it was almost entirely skeletal. They could not determine how or when she was killed. Wow. And so obviously the investigators think the person that made the phone call is involved in the murders. But they also think that the the random hiker who found them may have also been involved too because they think it's just too convenient of a coincidence that they were found on the third anniversary to the day of the murders. Okay. And unfortunately, they can't look into this any further because the tape of the call goes missing. What? Mm-hmm. So John Boubidet ends up dying in Chicago in 1988. And Marty dies in Oregon in 2000. And Cabin 28 was condemned and torn down in 2004. And the case remains unsolved. But I wonder, like, it's like no one stayed there after that? It was just like, it was donezo? I, I think the town was kind of allowed to fall, like, into decay. They definitely condemned that cabin. Nobody stayed in that cabin again. But... People kind of moved out of town, I guess. They didn't want to be near there. People, it completely changed the the outlook of this town, right? I mean, like I said earlier, this was a town where nobody locked their doors, and all of a sudden people became very afraid, so they wanted to move, I guess they wanted to move away. And so in 2004, they actually end up tearing down Cabin 28. There are still some cabins there, but they tore down that particular cabin. Okay. I, I looked online and saw... Some of the cabins. Yeah. Which, they look super creepy. Yeah, it's it looks like like a camp in the woods. I mean, that's very yeah. much what it looks like. So, But there actually have been a lot of recent developments lately. And partly this is because there has been a lot. Lately? Yeah. And this is partly because oh. there's been some turnover in the sheriff's department. 
So in 2010, the Plumas County Sheriff Greg Hagwood ordered his investigators to look through all of the evidence collected in the Cabin 28 murders. And Hagwood was a classmate of some of the Sharp children. And the fact that the murders had remained unsolved always bothered him. And so looking through the files, detectives discovered that Marty was seeing a therapist at the VA hospital. And the therapist said that just weeks after the murders, Marty confessed. Hmm. He said he murdered Sue because Sue was trying to convince Marilyn to leave him. And then he had to murder Tina because she was a witness. What? But he says he wasn't involved in the boys' murders. So who killed the boys? I don't know. The hell? So the therapist goes to the police and nothing happens. They report it as hearsay. The heck? Uh-huh. And so when they find this information all over again in 2010, they're like, oh my gosh, like this is this is what we what we've been looking for and there's there's a tape of the the therapist telling the story that they have in evidence now and and then in 2013 stuffed in the bottom of one of the evidence boxes they find the recording of the anonymous phone call identifying the skull the caller says he was watching the news about the discovery and was wondering if they thought of the murder up in Keddie a couple years ago where a 12 year old girl was never found so they sent that tape to the FBI for voice recognition analysis, but I haven't seen any updates about the results of that. And they do know that where the phone call was made from was a payphone, and that John Boubidet and Marty Smart were living nearby. Not like in the exact area, but nearby. Okay. Mm-hmm. They also find a letter that is dated 16 days after the murders from Marty Smart to Marilyn. And in this letter... Marty is asking Marilyn basically to get back together. And he says, quote, I paid the price of your love and now I've bought it with four people's lives. So there's another confession in this letter. So they send the letter to the FBI lab and the FBI lab is able to get Marty's DNA off the stamp. What? And in 2016, a junk collector using a metal detector finds a rusted hammer in the woods at first, he doesn't think it's, he just thinks it's a rusted hammer, so he kind of throws it into this pond. And then he, re, he learns about the Keddie murders, and he talks, he calls the police, and they go back and they find this hammer. And this hammer matches the exact description of the one that Marty says is missing from his house. Okay? Hmm. And here's the thing the Plumas County Sheriff's Department actually believes that there's up to six people who are either involved in the murder or the cover-up. So, while Marty Smart and John Boubidet... Six people. And so, while Marty Smart and John Boubidet are dead, there are still other suspects alive, and they have identified them. Police have identified them, and there was a recent discovery involving just that. In 2016... A piece of medical tape that was found on the floor near Sue's body was analyzed for DNA and came back to match a living suspect. Whoa. They have not made any arrests yet, and they have not named who these persons of interest are, but one of the investigators has stated that they have identified numerous persons of interest and they are still investigating the murders and conducting interviews and watching their suspects. Wow. So... 
that is the Keddy murders and I watched the movie that this is supposed to have inspired is a movie called the strangers and that actually is like I talked about scream with Danny Rowling scream is not really a scary movie the strangers is actually a scary movie have you seen it uh-uh what is it what it's, is it about it, so it's it's this couple it's Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman who is the guy from Felicity mm-hmm. and they they're leaving a wedding and they are staying at like his parents country house so it's in the middle of the no of nowhere it's in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere and it's basically a home invasion type thing like these people in masks just start tormenting them and there's no reason for it like it's there's literally no reason for it and it's one of those scary movies where you often think like there's the formula of scary movies where as long as you make it to the daytime you're going to be safe right and that is not the case in this movie the stranger it's a fabulous movie but it is actually legit scary. Do they die? So, um, but supposedly it was inspired by the Keddie murders of just somebody coming in and doing this for just for unexplained reasons, for no reason that but we can. But do they die in the movie? Understand. I'm not going to spoil a movie. Well, I'm not going to watch it. So. <laughs> but our listeners might wait wanting to watch it. But yeah, um, I do recommend watching that movie. If you're a horror movie fan, it is a slasher movie. It's not supernatural, but that movie was inspired by the Keddie murders. And I'm really encouraged by the fact that they actually do have a lot of new evidence with this case because they think, I mean, even the current sheriff's department thinks that like they're beyond saying, oh, this is coincidence that this was mishandled. They're fully to the point where they're saying this was a cover up committed by the sheriff's department. In 1981. So the sheriff's department was involved? Or they were just covering up for people that they knew? Not involved in the murders, but they're covering up something. Was John Boubidet, was he a, a, a witness that the DOJ needed to protect? I mean, was it, was, he, was it because the sheriff was friends with Marty Smart? I mean, there's something there. But they just don't, they don't know exactly what. Bonkers. But it's like it, it, there's both like that big government cover up with the Department of Justice and the small town government corruption thing, yeah. you know? So, yeah, but they don't know what happened. They don't know why. They don't know who. I mean, it sounds like Marty and John Bobaday were, were the main killers, but there clearly was at least a third person in the house based on this tape. There had to have been. Yeah. I just, and I'm thinking it's like, you know, it was like saliva. Like three, uh, like a, three adults. Like to be subdued yeah. and you and, know like and why weren't the three kids in the back? Why were why were they safe? How did anybody mm-hmm. sleep through this? I mean, they were in the house for a while, and the kids just slept through it. Yeah, they think just like I said, they think That's Justin bonkers. may have seen something, but and he was terrified of Marty, so maybe he saw something and went back to sleep, and then it kind of like jumbled in his mind. And he didn't want to say he saw his stepdad. I don't know. Sponkers. Yeah. Scary case, indeed. Yeah. I think there's just something for people in general about, like, a random crime happening in a small community that's, like, the setting for half the horror movies out there, right? Yeah. For sure. And, I mean... It's, it's, this is exactly that. It's in the middle of the night. It's in the middle of the woods. I mean, it's, it's just it's like the plot for every single horror movie mm-hmm. from yeah, a exactly. certain time period on. Yep. So there's no explanation. 
What are your plans for Halloween? Um, I'm actually going to be going home because I'm going to Birmingham because I'm going to be voting in Birmingham. So I'm going to go home for the weekend and stay through the election day. Um, so we have a football game that weekend. So we'll have to see how that goes. That may both teams are pretty bad, us and the team we're playing. So that could be pretty brutal to watch. But what are you? What about you? What are you doing? Uh, I don't really have any plans. Um, are you dressing? Are you a dresser upper? <laughs> I'm not. I love Halloween, but I don't love doing the dress-ups. That I don't really. I mean, is anybody even having a party anymore? I don't like we're all closed I don't down think many here. People are partying. So like, I don't yeah. really think anybody's doing anything. Yeah, like my friends and my friends' kids are dressing up, like that kind of thing. But but I'm not very big on costumes or anything like that. I just really like to. I like to watch a scary movie on Halloween. I usually watch Halloween on Halloween. Hmm. Well, I used to love trick-or-treating, like, a lot. Obviously. Um, The candy. (laughs) Always the candy for me, but... What's your favorite Halloween candy? Mm, It used to be Skittles or Starburst. Mm. That was, like, my jam. But now I really love Laffy Taffy. I'm, like, into Laffy Taffy uh, I hate Laffy Taffy. (laughs) That's, like, my jam now. Oh, my God. We could we could go trick or treating together, and you could have all the Laffy Taffy, and I love Butterfingers. So you okay, could give me all I'll the give you all the candy, all the chocolate candies, and I'll take all the the fruity mm-hmm. ones. But um, especially the banana, banana Laffy Taffy. Ew, ew! What is wrong I with you? That's know. like the worst one. <laughs> I would say, am I pregnant? <laughs> it's so bizarre. Right? But no, I'm not. Um, what was I gonna say? I lost my train of thought. Yeah, I think Halloween is pretty much canceled this year, <laughs> given yeah. all the cra- the craziness and chaos that's going on in the world out there today. Yeah. Um, I did see some cute ideas. People are like putting um, like candy on sticks and like putting them in their front yards so that you don't have a lot of people like reaching into a bowl or something mm-hmm. like that. I thought that was a pretty cute idea to like still let people trick or treat. Yeah, I don't... If they want to come around. I used to be big into costumes and that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. that was like... I have a whole bunch of them. Especially when we, when we lived in California. Because mm-hmm. it was like, you know, it was warmer. Halloween wasn't really that cold. But here, it's like... Yeah. It's snow, it snowed last week. I know. You sent me that video. So, like, it's too cold to be trying to be cutesy yeah. and put a cheerleader yeah. costume on. Plus, I'm so See, fat right now. you just got to get that Midwestern... <laughs> you have to get used to being in the Midwest because, like... That's definitely something that still happens. You just have to get used to the cold. Yeah, I don't know that I'm ever going to get used to the cold. That's yeah. kind of not something that I'm enjoying at all, ever. I, yeah. I, that's the reason why I moved out of Washington State, because it was like, <laughs> it's too cold. It was snowing yeah. every winter, and I'm like, any place that snows, I don't want to be there. Oh my gosh, if Washington State was too cold for you, you're in for a wild ride come March or April. Yeah, no, um, I came out here in April, but I had come uh, in November and I came again Mm -hmm. in like January and then I came again in February. And again, evidently this place had this thing they called the polar vortex this last year where it was Mm -hmm. like 10 times colder than it normally is. Like you would literally go outside and your face would freeze. But, um, and you know, I thought I was prepared for it because my mom lives in Alaska and so, like, it's 60 degrees below zero there. So you go outside, and right. you literally can't be out there for longer than a few minutes. And Mike and I went and visited last year, and it was it was unbelievably cold. But um, yeah. I just, I'm not a fan. <laughs> anytime I, I like winter. Anytime I have to wear, like, a lot of bulky clothes, and it's so cold that I can't do normal things outside. 
Yeah. I'm just not into it. And I like winter. You know, it's cool. Fall is cool, but it feels like we didn't really have a fall this year. It just went straight from like summer to winter. <laughs> See, we're still almost, it feels like we're still in summer. It was in the 80s this week. Oh my goodness. I'm ready for it to start cooling down. Yeah, no, we, we had snow and we're going to have snow yeah. again. This <laughs> coming. We're going to have a white Christmas. That's something I've always wanted. And hopefully we'll be in the new house by then. I mean, it's a white Christmas. I'm just there's fireplaces, real fireplaces in the new house. Mm-hmm. Like here we have a gas fireplace and there's just, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but for me, there's just something about gas fireplace that's not the same. As opposed to? A, a, like a wood fireplace. Oh, oh, but even a wood-burning fireplace, you still have a gas line. No, you don't. That you like. No, you don't. Yeah, you do. Uh, I grew up with fireplaces. We never had a gas line. It's So did I. Why would you have a gas line in a wood-burning fireplace? To start it. No, you use matches. Yeah, you light the, like, you're, like you light. Darcy. Um, People like a people grill. don't have a gas line in their fireplace. That's not a thing. It is a thing. Maybe in the one place you were at, but it's not a thing. It's not a thing here. No, it is a thing. Please write in and tell Sarah that it it's is a It's not thing. a thing. Our you new house a has line, no gas it? line. Yes, what you use matches maybe it, for. Maybe it doesn't, but it's a thing. It's I, I didn't just have it. <laughs> I've never seen that I'm anywhere. The only person I've in the never world. seen that anywhere. And, or you write in. Or you have that one of these things. Right. To light the fire. <laughs> you light it like a grill. No. You turn the gas on, you no. light it, and then a, and then you turn the gas off when the wood starts I've burning. looked at dozens and dozens of houses, and I've never seen a gas line in a regular fireplace. Write in and tell us, because tell <laughs> Sarah that not she's a wrong. Thing. Because I, that's, it's not a thing. That is a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> we're in a fight. Darcy's drunk. We're, we're not in a fight. Darcy's drunk. <laughs> no, we're in a fight. I'm not drunk. I've had... Not even two beers. Okay. You're just lying. You're I'm just not lying. It's not a thing. It's like... we. It's a th- there was this thing. thing. When I was growing up, we had regular fireplaces, and you had to like build a little teepee out of kindling and newspaper, and you would build a little thing, and then you'd take the matches, and you'd light it, and then it would you'd create this little kindling fire, and then you gradually add the logs, but there was no gas line anywhere so you had there. So you had a campfire. No, this was a regular fire. Around. I know that you, you started out like a campfire and then you built a, no, gas, that, a fire. That's how normal it. people build a fire. Here's the thing. You can't say that that's normal because that's where you grew up. I can't say my thing's normal just because that's where I grew up. I grew up in Alabama. You grew up in Washington. Alaska, Illinois, disparate places, East coast. I've been fires started in all those places and I've never seen. Okay. Listeners, write in and tell Sarah that she's... It's not a thing, Darcy. It is. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. I'm still creeped out by that story that you told about the sliding the glass sliding door. door. Yeah. I'm telling you. I asked my dad. He doesn't remember it. I swear to God, I've been thinking about it nonstop since you told the story. And it's like seriously got me like yeah, bonkers freaked out. And then... The thing is, all the doors in this house that I live in now have mirrors on the other side. Why? All the, like, closet doors have mirrors on the other side. Oh, closet yeah, doors. all of them. But, like, there's a closet door that goes over in... Let me show you. Can you see it? I had closet doors like that. I hated it. Um, yeah. And the thing is, I'll forget and leave the door open and then walk into the room... And I swear to God, it scares the crap out of me because I think it's somebody else in the house every time. Yeah. 
It's awful. I've startled myself on more than one occasion with a mirrored closet door. Yeah, it's awful. Um, yeah, I don't like it. And them. then especially after hearing your story about the sliding glass door person, now I'm like mm-hmm. even more freaked out. But anyway. I'm really glad I didn't make the connection that that wasn't like the main entrance to our house. I'm glad I didn't make that connection while that was happening. Oh my God. Because I don't know what I would have done. You, I don't know. That's just literally you know? like, I can't even imagine the level of fear and like terror. I mean, if you had known. Like, you right. were kind of innocently thinking until later that it was, like, but... Right. Uh, wow. I'm like, crap, I just got in trouble because I'm skipping school. Like, that was my first thought. Yeah. Because I'm, like, 17 and but, don't know anything. But never, like, I'm about to get murdered in my own house uh-uh. by some person that just walked in my sliding glass door. Or, uh-uh. even worse, a friggin' ghost. It wasn't a ghost. How do you know? I don't believe in ghosts. You didn't see the person. It could have been a ghost. You don't know that. I don't believe in ghosts. That's why I, I, that's why I say that. Well, if there are ghosts, then they would be around here because there's freaking graveyards everywhere. <laughs> I feel like if there's ghosts, like, I find it really hard to believe that they could physically hurt you. That's kind of my thing about ghosts. Like, that's why I'm not really scared of ghosts. Well, I don't think that they physically hurt good people. I think they only physically hurt bad people. <laughs> How's the ghost know? Is it just the ghost's decision if you're a good or a bad person? I don't know. Maybe do they, they, they can the sense if you're... They they're can, ghosts. Why do I care what they think? They can sense if you're friendly and nice and good. They can see your aura. Oh, it's like Santa. They can see your aura. Um, so, I want to know why there's so many freaking graveyards around here. Like, literally, like, you anywhere you go around here, there's a freaking graveyard. Is it kind of like in, and I never remember seeing any graveyards at all in California. There was like that Miramar one that they built after Mm -hmm. I moved there in San Diego. But like, I don't remember ever seeing any graveyards. And is it just because, you know, there's Native Americans. So like they built on top of their graveyards. And so we don't really know they're there, but they're there. Or was it just, we don't have graveyards there. Like, I think, well, it's not as. It's it's not as old as where you currently live, like in terms of like being settled and stuff By like white that. People, like San Diego, just but like there were plenty of Native Americans and Spanish settlers in San Diego. Yeah, but the uh, but of building a graveyard type of uh, population, like a situation with a graveyard, but literally like with tombstones or whatever. Like that's pr- I mean I don't know this for certain, but I imagine that's like a white Anglo-Saxon thing. There's got to be like but, ten graveyards in this small town that I'm living in. I don't know. There's literally, you drive down the main drag and you see these little tiny ones. Like every, mm-hmm. oh yeah, every mile there'll be like one that's like a city block by a city block or even smaller. Mm-hmm. And then you drive another half mile and there's a massive one to the right. And then you drive two miles down, there's a big one to the left. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's kind of like all those small old ones that are like behind churches. Those are kind of all around here too, but they're not really that big. But. It's kind of a, a weird know. situation. And the thing is, I, I, at the risk of sounding kind of morbid, I like graveyards. I've never been afraid yeah, of them. Yeah, you said that a couple of weeks back, and you were like, I'd like to go hang out in graveyards. Evidently, like, people have posted pictures. Like, um, Vanessa Hudgens, I think, posted. She got a huge torrent of backlash because she posted pictures from a graveyard saying it was her happy place. It's a little disrespectful. Yeah, well, to like post pictures. People were like, "What about the I people think. that died there? It's not very happy for right. them." Or the people who's visiting their family members that have died. It's not a right. happy place. So like, back off. Yeah, if weirdo. it's not like your family members, 
grave site, I think it's a little disrespectful to just like go like take pictures like you're a tourist. Yeah. I mean, she was like dancing and, and doing right. things like that. But when I go, I'm respectful. I go and I, right. I, you know, I always make sure I keep my voice down and I'm not like partying and I'm just, I go and I'll look at the gravestones and I'll wonder about the lives of the people that were buried mm-hmm. there. And I look at how old the gravestones are and wonder, you know, if anybody's yeah. taking care of them. And we're not walking over graves or being doing things that are disrespectful. Yeah. If anything, we'll try to clear some of the, if no one has cared for the grave, clear some of the flotsam and jetsam off the top of the gravestone and right. and look at it and see what the dates are. Cause some of them are really old. you say old. flotsam and jetsam? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I do like seeing the older, like, uh, gravestones. Um, mm-hmm. When I went and did the tour of the cemetery in New Orleans, the famous cemetery in New Orleans, like, yeah. there's some that were, like, from the 17 and 1800s and stuff. Yeah. And I, was, I mean, that's... They literally that's have cool. some here that are that old. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't even know there were people settled in this area that long ago. I bet they're... Yeah, I bet your area has, like, a really interesting history. It does, but you've got, you know, we're in the land of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot of the forefathers that were from this area. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting um, juncture kind of yeah. in the country because it was, I think, one of the places that it started to get settled first, you know, because you got Chicago not too far away. Mm-hmm. And Chicago yeah, you were was a major one of the, port city. Yeah. I, I still want to do uh, um, a thing on the, what was his name? Walter Mudge. Was it Walter Mudge? The, the, guy, the murderer, that murderer. H.H. Holmes? Yes! He called himself what did Walter, you say? Mudge. Walter Mudge. I think that was one of it his was aliases. Walter Mudge. Oh. Let me look it up real quick. We can have cut you this, read Devil in the White City? Um, I have not, but like I would love to. We drove by, I told you, the, when I came to visit last summer, yeah. we went and drove by the spot where his house was. Yeah. The murder castle. Oh, gosh, here's the like, pictures of that. But obviously the, it's not there anymore. Right, they tore that down. But we drove past it, and it was just super, like, the post office. There's a post office there now, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do, Herman like, Webster Mudgett was his oh, real real oh, name. Weird. And he Why would you called choose himself. that name as a fake name? Well, no, he call, his real name was Herman Webster Mudgett, and he called himself Howard oh, Holmes. Yeah, that's a that's an upgrade. But, yeah, I like places. Like, I, I grew up, like, in Alabama. There's not, like, a whole lot of history there. So, like, I've always wanted to do a tour like an American history tour of like DC or Philly or Boston or something like that, where like you actually have a lot of history to learn about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I don't I'm know sure there's a lot that. in your area too. So we're going to go ahead and wrap the podcast up now. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can always shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. As always, please rate review and subscribe. It is very, very helpful to us or send us an email. If you have questions Um, or show suggestions. We love getting emails from you guys. And social media, Darcy? Yeah, we are at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So like I said, there's a lot of pictures of the Ketty cabins and things like that. So we'll post some pictures there. Um, And you could also either write us on Instagram or Twitter to tell us that Sarah's wrong about the fireplaces too. (laughs) As always. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.